0: Remember Paul was Saul, God like miraculously changed his life where he was vehemently against all things Jesus and in a moment his life changed drastically. Some of our lives are very much like Paul. Our lives can change in a moment, right? When we come in contact with Jesus and Jesus is still coming in contact with people today. And so we're going to read this little letter uh, last week, we just did two verses. Today, we're just doing, doing about five or six verses. We're gonna, it's, like, it's like snow plowing, just up one side and down the other, just keep going. And uh, hopefully, in this information that we have, we'll learn something today, that God will show us a little bit more about himself, maybe a little bit more about ourselves. So let's read together, starting with verse 3. Paul is writing... We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from a hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace, you learned it from apaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a fellow minister of Christ on our behalf, and was also told us about your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for helping us with uh, just what it means to live in a very, very complex world. Complex relationships, complex economy. Complex decision making amongst our complex emotions but lord you through your word just give us a real practical sense of what it means to follow you so help us lord help us learn a little bit from you today we pray in jesus name amen for service we were uh, i was sitting out people get here a little bit early put on coffee some people got here early and and, and put up some balloons out for for robin and i was sitting with two gentlemen and we were talking about smelt fishing. How many here have gone smelt fishing? You're proud smelt fishers. Is that the right word? No, not many of you. For the rest of you, uh, smelt move in such a way that, that you can go out and you can seine them with a net and they're a fish about this big and you cut off their head and you gut them with a finger and then you deep fry them, eat them bones and all, and they're amazing, right? And uh, we used to be able to go... Uh, on the bay uh, up up in Door County on Red River, and we would get ten gallon buckets full till they filled the whole trunk, right? And it was a whole lot of fun. And and then you'd go home and you'd clean them all up and you'd put them in Ziploc baggies and you'd have a freezer full of smelt for the next three years that nobody ever ate, right? <laughs> um, but I, I was I say this because I was keenly interested in our conversation because they talked about the traditions they had and entirely different part of the state, and that was when you get your first sane of smelt, when the net first comes in, everybody grabs a single smelt and bites the head off, right? How many of you have done this in your life? Come on, come on, come on. Congratulations. A lot of gentlemen, not too many ladies out there. I'm amazed that we we live, I've never met these gentlemen before I came to Portview, and yet for some reason... We all had the same tradition of biting the head off. Like, who was the first guy that came up with that? Right? And how much alcohol was involved in that decision-making? Right? But it's so interesting. Actually, we actually convinced one kid when we were smelting for the first time that you not only have to bite it off, but you have to swallow it. (laughs) He didn't go with us again. But it's interesting how we learn simple, practical patterns of life from each other, and somehow something as, as goofy and rudimentary as biting a head off of a fish uh, trickled its way into so many cultures, so many lives, so many families, so many traditions when it came to smelting, and it's, it's in a lot of fishing cultures. Well, how did that come? We learned it from each other, right? I've learned some good habits and some bad habits. I've learned some practical things on how to how to fix the dishwasher, and I've learned some really not very practical things on maybe my eating habits at times. Uh, We learn the good and the bad from the people around us and, and a lot from our parents. And what the Word of God gives us, and specifically today as we're going through Colossians, we understand that we can pick up some really practical components to Paul's life, how he lived his life the patterns of his life, the things that he did, and, and hopefully when we look at somebody like Paul, we can find maybe some patterns in our own life that we can then maybe follow in the same way. It's amazing how uh, so much of my dad is in me. In fact, so often when I'm driving down the highway and the highway may be 70 miles per hour and I'm doing about 62 as I'm thinking about something. My wife will say, hey, speed up, Larry, right? (laughs) Larry's my dad. (laughs) Because we learn from each other. My goal for for our time in Colossians is we deal with some theological struggles that were going on in a little church and we're going to continue through the weeks here going through it and today is to hopefully find some practical stuff for our lives. Today we're going to be talking about Paul's practices of thankful prayer for others. Faith and love are the desired outcome of the followers of Jesus. Our hope for heaven. and There is a true and false gospel. And finally, the true gospel is being experienced throughout the world. So through these five verses, finding out some really practical things about what Jesus is doing around us and in us. First, Paul practices a thankful prayer. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Remember, now we see a little bit different uh, reference. At the beginning in verse 1, he referenced Jesus as Christ Lord. Now it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of switches the word. Remember, now we're referencing him as Jesus our friend, not just Jesus God, the, 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 the man part of him. And we get a little glimpse into Paul's prayer, how his prayers were not about himself. How his prayers were about other people. How his prayers were focused on the needs of others. And he says we've been praying. So it's him and Timothy. have been praying together for this people that he'd never met before. Remember, he's never been to this little little community of about 30,000 people in the middle of Turkey. He's never been there, hasn't met anybody. And yet, for some reason, they have leaked their way into his prayer life. People he's never even... That's pretty selfless, right? I don't know about you, but... When I get out of my prayer habits, my prayers become damage control. In other words, when prayer isn't a regular part of a disciplined part of my life, I'm not really praying for other people. I'm praying for me. praying for my situation, the, the trauma of the moment, the damage that is going on in my life right now. And prayer here, Paul is saying, it's meant to be so much more. It's meant to be focusing on God focusing on others, and then focusing on ourselves. And and next week, we're going to really dig deep into Paul's prayer life a little bit more. But when we focus on others, I want to give you just a real practical model. When you're spending some time in prayer, it's good to focus first on God and just worship him. Just recognize who he is, be thankful for what he's done in your life, and then think about the people around you. And I I always do this sphere of influence thing. And so I think about the people that are closest to me. I think about my wife and my kids, right? And I kind of pray for them first. And then I kind of pray for my, my, my parents and the in-laws and the cousins. I kind of go out there. And then, and then I kind of pray for you guys. Now, I, I don't get everybody in on a, a daily basis, I got to say. In fact, I was telling somebody I, I do pray from this side over, right? And the Baxters chose to move today. And uh, <laughs> it's going to mess me up. Just going to mess me up. But 1 Timothy, again, Paul writing now to Timothy, he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. That's a big stretch of my mind. In other words, boy, just don't, just think about yourself. For kings and for all those in authority, yeah, pray for our president, pray for our governor, whether you voted for him or not. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, pleases God, our Savior. He wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Our prayer lives, the prayer life of Paul, somehow wasn't just about my needs right now, which are important. God does care about everything I'm going through. Somehow to be able to care about other people. Next, faith and love are the desired outcome. Of a follower of Jesus. In other words, if we're following Jesus, these two things should be coming out in our lives. Right? First, faith in Christ Jesus. There is something that all those who come into the family of God have in common, and that is a belief system in who Jesus is Jesus is the Son of God. And if we have this understanding of who he is, that's the foundation of faith. Like, I believe in who he is, and it starts me on this relationship that not only do I believe who he is, but I'm also believing what he said for my life. And so it's a believing for God for forgiveness, but also a faith for daily living. Faith in Jesus for our practical things, for the things that he can do in our lives, and also a faith that Jesus can be trusted. I, I think there's our times in our lives where we lose trust in Jesus. And nothing nothing undermines our trust in Jesus more than pain. Nothing comes and tries to sabotage a relationship with Jesus and our trust in him more than the circumstances around us. I appreciate Pastor Mitch's song today. We, we sang about firm foundations, regardless of our circumstances, that we can have faith in Jesus but guess what? There's pain for everybody. We're all in the same lot. We all experience the same thing. But faith for daily living and faith that Jesus can be trusted. Because though circumstances may be hard at times, he has a way of walking with us, of giving us peace, of giving us the ability to overcome our circumstances. Hebrews eleven six has this complex idea, and it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There are circumstances in our lives that come that just make us say, I I don't know, God. I I don't know if I can trust you right now. But the foundation of a relationship with Jesus, it's the practical things in our lives, is I don't fully understand the why, I don't really understand the circumstances happening to me today, but I fully trust the who. I have found my way to put my trust in Jesus regardless of my circumstance, and we know in Paul's life, he's had to do that. So this faith component should be a natural part of all of us. But there's also this love component, love for all of God's people, thinking of others above ourselves. Love is foundationally thinking about others above ourselves. Love in our current context is often twisted up in so many ways, but love is giving. It's not just receiving. Love is a personal sacrifice. Jesus revealed what love was when he went on the cross. He said, this is how I'm going to show you what love is. I'm going to personally sacrifice. I am going to hurt. I am going to have this death. I am going to show you what love is. I'm going to sacrifice for somebody else. I'm going to tell you your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your parents, Changes in our minds when we give without the expectation of it being reciprocated. That's hard because, man, we love the reciprocation, right? The feel-good stuff. But think about a world, think about a church, think about a marriage when both people are just looking at ways to just serve and care for the other person without any expectations of reciprocation. Right. it's never found more in a marriage than who does dishes. Really, I mean, it's the practical stuff. Like, I did the dishes. It's your turn to do the dishes. No, it's your turn to do the dishes. I don't know whose turn it is to do the dishes. The reality is it's the little practical stuff. Christine says, me. Yeah. It's the little practical stuff that says, I'm just going to give, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to give. But what a beautiful thing when two people are saying that and doing that same model. Right? This is the love Jesus modeled and is the character of God. And we must be willing to then, in that love model of serving, be able to see beyond the faults of the other person. Have you guys noticed that the people that are close to you have faults? We do. Some of you might be amazed. Some of you think, I, I don't know anybody with faults. You could be the one with faults. <laughs> Matthew 7. I, I think this passage is, is like quoted a lot, uh, especially with people who have never read it before. Um, Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. These are expectations that we place on each other. Verse 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? It sounds like a complicated situation. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck From your brother's eye, the whole idea here is self-reflection is a really good component in our lives when it comes to love and caring for each other. It's about really not worrying about how much do they love me. The question is, how much do I love them? How much do I give? How much do I sacrifice? How much can I offer? And guess what? It's not just with our kids. It's not just with our spouses. It's with God love in response to what he's already done for us so faith and love and then it kind of brings it all together and says those things can happen because of hope the faith and love that spring from hope stored up for you in heaven our hope for heaven brings us a little bit of perspective there is no greater question to mankind than what happens when we die Turn on the TV. I would say 75% of all the television shows on TV right now at some p- component have to do with death, right? Watch Law and Order for a minute. It's within the first 30 seconds. Somebody died, right? And the whole time we've got to figure out who killed them, right? And show after show after show. It's, it's about death. Why is that such a big thing? Because it seems so so abrupt So real, so ending, and so applicable, right? As to what is coming next. What is coming next? I mean, can you guys, as many times I've read through the Bible, I really grasp my mind around heaven. I mean, I hear about streets of gold. I hear about big mansions. I, I know the neighborhood I want to live in and who wants to be my neighbors right now. I, I can pick out my neighbors and everything, but I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like. If scripture says that someday there's going to be a new Jerusalem on earth. In other words, heaven is actually someday going to be on earth and as followers of Christ, guess what? We're coming back. We're coming back here. Maybe not Port Washington. I don't know. New bodies too. Isn't that great? Right? Our lives are going to be so different, but it is a faith that is built out of that hope for heaven and that hope that my eternity, I can be at peace. and That eternity will be even better than this. Our focus needs to go to the unseen, not just to the seen. As Paul says, that faith that we have And the love that we have for each other, all of those things, the faith and the love, the interaction that we have with our family, the interaction we have with friends of the church, all of that comes out of a sense that I believe that something more is coming. I have a hope beyond the circumstances that someday this body is going to fall away and I'm getting a new one. I'm getting a new body with straight teeth and, and no receding hairline, I'm getting a new body, right? We're all getting new Scripture scriptures, but that's not what we're looking forward to, maybe a little bit. That's really not what we're looking forward to. What we're really looking forward to, the fact is that there is a peace beyond these circumstances, that there's a day when there's going to be no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. And it's important for us to look to that unseen to expect for eternal life with God and expect for the return of Jesus. I've seen cycles in the church. Those of you who have been around a long time, it seems like we go through like six months or a year or two years where we all we talk about is Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And then we just don't talk about it for a couple of years. And then, and then it comes back again. Jesus is coming soon. Usually it, has, it like connects with like world wars or like people we don't like in the news. Oh, Jesus is coming soon. I don't know when Jesus is coming. In fact, for 2,000 years, the church has been saying Jesus is coming soon. But an expectancy in our hearts, in fact, there is a theology called the blessed hope that says there is something inside of me that if I, if I keep looking towards the future, it affects me today. If I look to eternity, if I look to heaven, if I look to what's coming beyond and not fear it, not worry, but just have faith in God, that there's peace for today the hope that we have for eternity actually changes the way I live today. I want you to hear that. The hope we have for eternity changes how we live today. If we really think that this is it, then we're here selfishly trying to achieve everything we can, every good feeling, every good moment. We we get really sad when we start getting old because we feel like it's coming to an end. It's not coming to an end. Listen, listen, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior at 16 years old, at my bedside, which I'd heard my whole life about Jesus, but for me it tur- turned out to be 16 at my bedside where I prayed to Jesus all by myself because our faith is so personal. My eternity started then. And some of you say, whoa, whoa, you're still you're still very finite. Yeah, this is finite, but my soul, your soul is eternal. The question is, where is it going afterward? And it's all built on faith. Can I trust God beyond the big questions of life? Can I have hope for the future? And then Paul says, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. There is a true and a false gospel, and this is something that we're going to spend quite a bit of time in through Colossians because from what we understand in this letter, it's a primary motivation in Paul's writing to the small church in the middle of Turkey. He's saying, for those of you who found the true message, the true message, the true gospel, gospel means good news, right? For those of you who find the true good news, he was very worried, he was very concerned that people were adding to what it meant to find a new life in Jesus. They were adding to things. Our kid's grandpa Jerry never has any seasoning on anything, salt or pepper. He never uses any sauce. For his french fries, he doesn't use ketchup. Like, who doesn't use ketchup? And it's the whole purpose of french fries, I think. His, his words are this, I like the taste of food, which we always get a little snicker out of because he'll just eat the steak with nothing on it, just a potato with nothing on it. I like the taste of food. Listen, we add so many things to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You've got to do this. you got to do this. you got to do this. Come and do this, and then you're going to be in good standing. You've got to do this. You've got to do this. Listen, it is Jesus plus nothing. It is Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. Let me read for you Romans five one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith—that little part in our lives that trusts in Jesus—we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That simple component. That if we have trust in faith, that we can believe that we have eternity with Him. That simple. My faith in Jesus transforms everything. But Jesus plus anything else is a false gospel. This sense that you've got to somehow earn it or you've got to be better or you've got to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus or you've got to say the right things or do the right things or give enough money or, or whatever the world or the church tries to add on to it because here the problem was the church was adding on to it. Say, yeah, but you've got to pray it this way and you've got to do it this way. and you've got... Whoa, 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 whoa. Salvation through faith, by grace alone. No additives. No have-tos. People have come to me and said, you know, Pastor Paul, do I have to come to church to be in good standing with Jesus? I said, absolutely not. It just makes it harder. Because we need each other. We need the support of each other. But yeah, yeah in fact, a lot of people are online today, right? I don't know. I think it's important we're together, and I don't want to lose that message, but at the heart of it, no. Well, do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? No. You don't. And Jesus, Jesus was making it very simple for us, a relationship with him, faith in him, making him Lord. In other words, allowing him to make decisions for our lives, which then usually drives us to church. Simple faith in the true gospel. And finally, he says, this true gospel is being experienced everywhere. It is being communicated. I can attest to this. Uh, I've been to a lot of places around the world. I've, I've been able to travel as a result of, of our, our previous position that we had. Uh, I've been to the smallest places that you would never think the gospel has gone, and the gospel's there. And there's little churches all over the world that are meeting just like this today, although in a different time zone, right? I always laugh at a pastor who says, you know, all these millions of people are meeting in church right now. No, they're not. They're sleeping right now. But all over the world, they're doing the same thing. Why? Because the simple message of the gospel rings true. It's true. It's real. It transforms lives. It's transformed my life. It's transformed yours. And it continues to do so where it's communicated. That's why we as a church within Christianity are often called evangelicals, based off that word evangelism, which basically means we really want to tell other people the good news we've received. And so if, if you're new to to the church, you'll understand over time that we're very excited to tell other people. It doesn't give us any credit in the bank with God, Right? but we just want other people to receive the free gift of salvation that we've received, the free gift of a relationship with God, the free gift of eternal life. And that excites us, and so we want to tell everybody, not all of that, Jesus said, you should probably go do that. It became his marching orders right before he ascended in heaven. He said, go into all the world to preach the gospel to all na- nations. And he's trying to encourage us that this message is bearing fruit everywhere. If people have the opportunity to hear The true gospel, not the gospel plus with all the sauce and all the stuff put on, when the true gospel is preached, it goes everywhere, everywhere. Now if you go out those doors, turn around the corner, you'll see a wall full of plaques and those are individuals that we support to go to the places that you and I can't go. Right, it's supported through a ministry we call Kingdom Builders here. So many of you give to Kingdom Builders so we can send people to these complex places that have not had access to the simple message of Jesus. Do you know that today there are 8 billion people in the world? I can tell you that it was just maybe five or six years ago I was preaching and I said 7 billion. Now I'm saying 8 billion people in the world right now and 3.4 billion have not even heard the name of Jesus. This is just a reality of of language. It's a reality of geography. It's a reality of of the speed of childbirth. It's a reality that people just, just need to have access. So what we do is not necessarily ever require anybody to believe what we believe, but just give them an option. It's about creating access. I really do believe that a church on every corner is a great thing we got a church up the road there. we got a church, where am I, proximity, right here. Uh, We could probably throw, each of us throw a stone in a different direction and hit a church today, and I think that's a good thing. Why? Because we're creating access to the gospel. Each church has its little different personality, which is great, but we are creating access to the gospel within walking distance of every person. I really believe that that's our call to create that access point So, what are we trying to say with all of this? Paul was trying to communicate in in the beginning of his letter. Now, this is still last week was just his introduction, right? We got to know who Paul was, who Timothy was, we got to know who what Colossians was really all about. But then he goes into just the simple prayers I care about you having these important things in your life. I care about you having faith in Jesus in the circumstances of life. I care about you having true love for God and love for each other. I really care that you have a hope beyond what the hard things are of life. I'm really, really worried that you that you are not holding it to yourself, but I, I really want you to tell other people. Paul, to a whole group of people I've never met before, is being a pastor. So, let me talk about what it means for me to be a pastor. Let me, let me talk what my hope is for you. Because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a unique relationship. Uh, my, I went to lunch with my cousin this week. He lives in Random Lake just up the road. We grew up together. I can't tell you too many stories about Scott in case he ever comes to this church, so. Maybe I can, he'd love that. He said, what kind of a pastor are you, you know? And I said, I think I'm a shepherd. I think I'm just, a, I'm just a guy who just walks with people because I really do believe my desire for you is on Monday morning when the alarm goes off, on Tuesday at lunch at work, on Thursday night when you're balancing your your accounts on your, on your funds came in, when, when you're meeting with the in-laws on Friday night, when you have to make decisions that affect your physical well-being. My hope is that you sense and you experience Jesus in those moments. Not just on Sunday for an hour, hour and 15 minutes. But that somehow, that Jesus has so permeated your life that he is a part of everything. And my goal, our goal as a church, is just to walk with each other through those circumstances. That somehow Jesus, love, faith, hope. Remember 1 Corinthians thirteen, thirteen. Paul says, these are the most important things. Love is the most important of the three, but faith, hope, and love are the most important things in your life. What are we really doing here on a Sunday? Like, what are we really doing here on a men's breakfast? And what are we really doing here celebrating a birthday today? What are we really doing here? We are understanding and celebrating that Jesus in, in our lives in every single circumstance, in every relationship, in every tear, in every question of where the money is going to come from this month, in every fixing of the snowblower, I don't know how, cl- how close I was with Jesus when the snowblower broke on Friday. I gotta be honest. It was a struggle. <laughs> my faith was weak. And so was my snowblower. <laughs> but it was in those moments I had to stop and say, okay, Lord, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. Is Jesus in every component of your life? Is your faith and love in him somehow come together? I woke up this morning and I was saying a prayer about this morning. And I was praying that those who come in today, because I wasn't expecting a whole lot of you, right? I almost slept in today, I got to be honest. Not really. I'm glad you guys came out. My prayer for us today, those of you who are online today, couldn't be here, those of you who are here today. It's that somehow in our circumstances, as diverse as they are, we would again meet with the sacred of God. He'd come and inhabit our moment. We'd sense that God's here with us, that God loves us. He'd give us a faith in our circumstances. He'd teach us how to love others, teach us to see beyond the moment. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to sing to a song together today. I would ask you to do this one thing. I noticed that uh, I, I, I never turn around really when, when people are singing, but I've been up on the platform long enough that, that some of us, some of us during worship just stand. Some of us sway. Someone's got this Christian sway thing. Like they really want to dance, but they just don't feel like they can, right? So they sway. Some people are, you know, worship like this. Some people like this. Some people are really loud singers and great singers. And some of us, not so much. Right? A few moments we're going to sing a song. You can do any of those things. All of that can be worship. Not never sing a note or raise a hand, but still be worshiping in your heart. That's awesome. Do that. That's you. I'd like you to ask yourself this question as we sing this song. Jesus, are you really a part of every part of my life? Is there a part that I just keep you away from? Is, it, is, is, there, is there a church Paul and a work Paul? Is there a church Paul and a family Paul? Is there a, a pulpit Paul and a fixing the snowblower Paul? Paul? Is there a part of you that just, you're not following Jesus? Why don't you take these moments during worship and offer your whole life to him. The good, the bad, the ugly. Because he's here. He wants to be with you in all those moments.